Okay. Uh, I want to talk about I want to talk about Orla. Orla, as you all know, is the fruit of the tree during the first three years. It's called Orla. The fruit of the tree in the fourth year is called Neta Revai. Neta Revai. And the fifth year, you can eat the fruit. Now, this process would be really unbearable if not for the fact, unbearable meaning that in Chutzlaretz, for example, how would you ever know if uh, something was Orla or not? But fortunately, or that's what, you know, I've heard, that the fruit that grows on trees during the first three years of the existence of the tree is usually not um, sellable. It's not something that you'd want to eat. So that uh, the fruit that really, that we eat in general is only the fruit of the 50 years. So that kind of pragmatically solved that, that problem. There, Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. I don't know. It depends. You see, Allah is a tricky thing. Like, um, when is the tree a tree? Like, when is the year, when does zero start? Uh, so it's true that you grow trees in a nursery. Right? Let's say today, you grow a tree in a nursery, you stick it in a bucket, and then goes a tree. But you start counting when you plant that tree in the ground. So that the tree could be three years old when you plant it in the ground. But that's zero. So that, um, I just, uh, it's important, it's important to know that, um, it's important to know that Orla represents a departure in the Torah. Uh, the Torah talks about in the parish of Kedoshim if you look at the sheet the parish of the Kedoshim it says et chukotai tishmoru v'emtecha lo tarbiya kilayim satcha lo tizra kilayim ubegit kilayim shatnez lo ya'aleh alecha there's a very strong prohibition in the Torah against what you call shatnez or Kilayim. Kilayim means that uh, two kinds of things grew together. You said, I grew them out of the same pod. That's what produces Kilayim. And Shatnez is a mixture, a mixture of different kinds of um, wool or thread, like flax and wool. That's called, that's called Kilayim. So the Torah, the Torah says that this idea of mixing things in the world about kind of uh, making something new, something that's not part of creation. Right? You take, a fru- or you take a, a two kinds of trees and you put them together and you get another kind of tree. Right? You take two kinds of animals, you put them together and you get a new kind of animal. But the Torah doesn't like that. The Torah doesn't like you to improve on creation. The creation has these animals. Don't go make new animals. There's such a, such a theory. On the other hand, we also know that when man slash woman, uh, I just say man because it has fewer consonants, uh, when man 
made bread out of wheat. Chazal thought this was a great thing. And they made a special bracha. But when you make things out of wheat, out of grain, you say, But when you make bread, which is more or less the same thing, I mean, okay, I know there are differences, but more or less the same thing. You start out with the same ingredients, you, you bake it in an oven. Then it was a big deal. And so there's a special bracha, the same thing is true about, about wine. I mean, what's wine? You take grapes and you squeeze them and out comes juice. Well, you don't squeeze them. You let them sit. Well, you trample them around depending on the culture that you are a member of. But once you've done that, you have grape juice. Now, you don't like grape juice. Right? You can't bear it. You know, it's worse than water. So what you do is you add alcohol and then you love it. Right? So that drink that we call wine, that drink that we call wine, it doesn't exist in nature. You can't go to a tree and get wine, except in cartoons. But Chachamim thought that this was a great thing. And they made a special bracha for wine. So this idea, this idea that you should not change the way the world was created, works sometimes, but doesn't work all the time in terms of our tradition, inherited tradition, so that Kalayim is no good, the Chathnes is no good, that Kalayim, even putting animals together in an odd way, or, or putting cloth and flax together, all of that's no good. But making wine and making bread, that sounds like it's, it's very good. So the Pasuk here says, there are certain things that you shouldn't mis- mix together. There are certain things you shouldn't mix together. We call them, we give them a name. There's the Kalayim and Shatnez and, and, uh, and stay away from that. Then in the same parashah, there's a, f- a few other prohibitions. If you look down at Pasuk Kaf Gimel, the Pasuk says this, V'chitavol ha'aretz. So this is a, a, a theme that exists starting from this Pasuk through the book of Dvarim, where the Torah tells us, Kitavol Haaretz. There's a certain kind of lifestyle, mitzvot, that apply in Eretz Yisrael. And so B'nai Yisrael were informed of many of these mitzvot in the desert. And Moshe Rabbeinu would teach them. And what he taught them at this time in the Parashah of Kedoshim, and then you plant fruit trees, I guess. It doesn't mean you can eat the tree, even though there are edible parts of a tree, right? You know, trees have sap, and you can, you can collect the sap. In Hebrew, that's called dvash. I know you think dvash is something else, but that's dvash. Right? The sap that comes out of the tree that can be collected. Uh, but here we're not talking about that. He says, it says, So we're talking about fruit trees. And you will plant fruit trees. 
uh, from this uh, we learned there's a halacha. The halacha says that when B'nai Yisrael came to Eretz Yisrael, whatever had already been planted, whatever was planted by the non-Jewish population uh, in Eretz Yisrael, is excluded from these regulations about Orla. Orla only applies to what was planted in Eretz Yisrael when and after the Jews arrived in Eretz Yisrael. Now listen to the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, the Pasuk Varautem olato et pirio. If you don't understand what this means, you're fortunate. I mean, if you don't understand the Hebrew, so you're fortunate because you understand the Hebrew, you wouldn't understand what it means anyway. And since, and that's always annoying. It's like, not so annoying not to understand. You know, when you go to Wales, you know, you go to Wales, so you look at the signs in Wales, so, of course, you understand the thing. You wouldn't even try to, to say what those signs are. It's just some odd collection of consonants that don't have to see. So it, it doesn't bother you. You feel that, that they're the ones who have a problem. You know? It's like if you, if you think you understand that, that's a problem. If you don't understand it, that's perfectly reasonable. So listen to what it says. Arautim alato et now the word orla, the word orla is a difficult word. We know, we know certain instances of the use of the word orla in the Torah. First, I mean of course, the, the word orla refers to the covering on the penis that is removed at milah, when there's a brit milah. Uh, that's called Orla. But uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, as you know, was an Alau Peh. He had, his mouth is described with the same word. And it's, uh, usually we say that the Moshe Rabbeinu uh, stuttered or something. He, he was not able to speak clearly. But what would the connection be? Then we also know that in the Torah there is this use of the word aral, aralev, aralev, that your heart is arel, your heart is arel. And Hakadosh Baruch Hu promises that the end of the days in the, in the Galut, God will remove the arel from the lev, will. Open it up somehow. Open up some sort of covering. You know, the word, the word appears many times, but it's not perfectly clear what that word means. Certainly not, not in connection to this pasuk. Varautem orlato means you do something. Varautem orlato, then et pirio. What does et pirio mean? I mean, how do you varautem orlato at Pirio. Pirio means fruit. I mean, how do you do it? Or what is it that you're supposed to do? I mean, if I knew what I was supposed to, that I'm doing, then I would be able to perhaps understand how you do it. Then the Pasuk says, Three years the fruit should be in this category of Arelim. You're not allowed to eat the fruit. 
בשנה רביעית יהיה כל פריו קודש. הילולים להשם. הילולים is like the word Hallel. It'll be in honor of the glory of the glory of God. That's in the first, fourth year. Yekol Perio Kodesh. And that means that the fruit that grows on the fourth year has to be eaten in a special place. And that special place is the Beit HaMikdash. You have to take the fruit to the Beit HaMikdash, the fruit of the fourth year, and eat it, eat it there. Last pasuk, בשנה חמישית תאכלו את פריו, להוסיף להם לכם תבואתו. On the fourth year, on the fifth year, right, what the fifth year? Three years, the fourth year, and our fifth year. What does the pasuk say? תאכלו את פריו, which sounds like it should be translated as, as something like eat the fruit at will. Eat it whenever you want. Like, there are no restrictions. First three years, you can't eat it at all. The fourth year, you have to eat it only in your life. Fifth year, no restrictions. But, what does this mean? Lo'osif lachem tevu'ato. Tevu'ah, tevu'ah means wheat. But it could also mean the yield of it. Lo'osif lachem tevu'ato. What does that mean? What's, what's the connection? This is like... Uh, sort of like a non-sequitur. On the fifth year, eat whatever you want. Or eat it wherever you want to eat it. So there are a few things here that are not so clear. They're not so clear. Let's see if Rashi can help us. Rashi says, Pasukav Gimel, Remember those, those, those words? The word Oralah? Vetamtem atibato, ye atum, venistam, milahenot mimenu. Atum means fashtupt. You know, like, like, like a pkak, like a cork in a bottle. So, so atum here means that you just stay away from it. Keep, keep it. In other words, it's not a statement about the fruit. It's a statement about how your attitude to the fruit should be. What should your attitude to the fruit be? It's locked away. I can't come near it. I can't touch it. That's my attitude. That's Varautem Arlato, according to, according to Rashi. Varautem Arlato, Vatamtem Atimato. Atima is a word that's associated with installatory right that's atima so he says ye atum v'nistam milahenot b'imene you can't have and derive any benefit from the fruit you can't sell it to a goy lehenot hana'a always means benefit you can't sell it to a goy you can't give it to your animals you can't use it for anything at all stay away <coughs> okay that's what Rashi says. So Rashi says that the word Allah is relating to fruit is not a statement about the fruit, but it's a statement about me. I should look upon this fruit as being forbidden. But I can't have anything to do with it. Now we skip the to um, to Yukol Pirio Kodesh. You see Pasukav Dalid in the Rashi. Kimaser Sheni Shikatubal. We know that Maser Sheni 
uh, the second the second year and the fifth year, you have to bring the Maaser Sheni, which is called Maaser Ba'alim, to the Beit HaMikdash in Yerushalayim, and you eat it there. So Rashi says, this is the same thing. Shekatuv bo, chol Maaser Ha'aretz, Kodesh Lashem. Ma Maaser Sheni, Edon Echal, Chutz L'chol Maaser Yerushalayim, Elek Bepidyon, Avzekeh, so this is the same thing is true. Just like Maaser Sheni, there's a special regulation that allows you to redeem the stuff for money, and then you go to to Yerushalayim, and with the money you buy more, buy stuff, and you eat it there. Right? That's called pidyon. Pidyon is you redeem the stuff for money. You take the money to Yerushalayim, you buy stuff that equals the stuff that you started out with, like you started out with potatoes. So you redeem the potatoes for money. You go to Yerushalayim, you buy potatoes with the same money that you, that you, uh, that you received, and, with that, and then you eat those potatoes, and you fulfilled your obligations. But the tourist says, look, it's very hard to take all the Maser Shani and all the, all the oil off, the Deteravai to Yerushalayim, schlep it there, so there's an easier way. That's what Rashi is talking about. That once you do pidyon, once you redeem it, you can eat it outside of the walls of the city. Rashi says, this is praise to God. This whole following this procedure. Oh, because you take the stuff to Yerushalayim, whether it's Maaser Sheni or it's Odeta Revai, this is all part of a process which Rashi says is called to praise and to glorify the name of God. Okay? That's what Rashi says. Now there's one more thing that Rashi is going to help us with and that is in Pasuk Kafei, right? Remember those three words? You should have more tabu'ah. You should have more, more stuff or something. So Rashi says, HaMitzvah HaZot SheTishmeru Tiyel HaHosif Lachem Tabu'ato In other words, if you keep this mitzvah, what mitzvah are we talking about? Allah. If you do everything I said, the, first, the Torah says, the first three years you don't need it, the fourth year you take it to your life, it's going to be good for you. Not only will you be doing what God wants, and not only will be Kodesh Ilulim Lashem, but it's going to be your bank account is going to grow. You're going to get more. It'll everything will be better. Right? You'll plant stuff, and it'll grow better. And you'll get more than you thought you were going to get. He says, Right? And he says that the reward is going to be an Olam Hazar. It's going to be an immediate reward. You do what God said about the Orla, everything's going to be good. Your agricultural life will be tremendously improved. Ayarab Yakivo make what's a medrash? Kineg Dibra Torah, Kineg Yetzahara. Shaloya Adam. Ayarba Shanibani Mitzta'er Bochinam. He says, you know, the Yetzirah, what does the Yetzirah mean? It means regular, regular kind of thinking. That's what Yetzirah is. 
So Yetzirah says, Yetzirah says, well, I, mean, I didn't eat for three years, and then the fourth year I slept to Yerushalayim, and what do I get from all of this? So maybe next time around, I'm not going to do this anymore, because it's not a good deal. That's called Yetzirah. Says that even though, even though generally the rewards are not obvious, the rewards you get for doing mitzvot are not so obvious, even though the Torah tells us that they exist. In a general way, like if you're a good person, so the rain will come when it's supposed to come, and it won't uh, rain when it shouldn't rain. But here, the Torah specifically says that if you went to the trouble of keeping the laws of Allah, which are something of an annoyance, then you can be sure, you can be sure that a Kodesh Baruch Hu will reward you on the spot. That you will have more. So that, that Rashi, Rashi has taught us two things that are of, of some importance. The first is, the first is that Orla, that the word Orla refers to my uh, staying away from it. Not that there is something wrong with it, but that the Torah tells me to stay away from it. So I, in the first three years, I can't, I can't have the fruit at all. This is not the position of the Ramban. The Ramban in the next section, uh, let's start from three, four, five, six. The sixth line. Start with the sixth line. First he quotes Rashi, and then he says, his kir akatuv atimut bipri this is also Rashi. Atimut, remember that word fashtupt, that atimut bepri, that you can't use it, you can't get any benefit out of it. He says, this word, Allah, is not used where we have other isurei hana'a, like, uh, let's say, Chameitz on Pesach. Chameitz on Pesach. Subhanah. Subhanah means that you can't give it to your animals, even though the animals are not keeping Pesach, right? But but you can't get benefit from the chametz. And when you feed the animals, your animals, you're getting benefit because you don't have to feed the animals. Uh, you don't have to feed them shmurmat, the animals. So so it's a lot cheaper to give them old chametz, but to give them new shmur matzahs, but you can't do that. That's called an isur hana. So that when there is, so the Ramban says, so what's different about this isur hana? What's different about this? Why is it called orla? Why is it called orla? Why did Torah just say, don't eat the fruit for the first three years, the fourth year, go to Yerushalayim, the fifth year, eat it. What, are they, what does the Torah have to dray a rhyme that means include, involve us in this notion called Allah, which we don't really understand so well, anyway. So, so the Ramban says, This is when, when the fruit first starts to grow, it's, it's like the opening, it's an opening. Ki'ilu ha'peirot skurim ba'ilanot 
In other words, if you, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know anything about this, but I'll, but you know, so I'm making this up. So if somebody here knows something about it, don't correct me. So like, you know, the tree, so you have the flower, and then you have fruit, but you don't have fruit in one day, you know, it's like covered up, or you can see, you can tell the difference between a fruit that's just not edible yet, and a fruit that uh, is edible, fruit that we appreciate. So, so this idea of orla, that the orla is a covering, something covered, covered up, applies to the fruit on the tree. That's what the Ramban said. So that even though Rashi didn't point this out, didn't point out this semantic connection, the Ramban thought that there is such a semantic uh, uh, connection. You see the Ramban? I'm on line 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Line 8. A third of the way across. That, that they're still in a very early stage of development. There's no flower, and there's no um, uh, beginning. There's no beginning of the, of the actual fruit that you're going to eat. So, so the Ramban, I mean, it's no difference. What? Smader is, is the... Uh, it's in the in the pasuk. Uh, one second. Uh, but that's I don't know. I mean, you know, it's like with the fruit. You see a fruit, but you know, it's it's not. It comes out of something. It comes out of something. That's the that's what he's referring to. They're not yet the flower comes before the fruit, right? Are this all people who watch television? Nobody's out in the in the wilds looking at the trees. Anyway, if you look at the trees this time of year, right, you'd see that that there's a flower, but there's no fruit. Right, flowers come before the fruit, unless it's the kind of fruit that stays on the tree all the time. What fruit stays on the tree all the time? An etrog, very good. That's what the Gemara says, but it's, it's even true. <laughs> like if you went to look at an etrog tree, of which there are some in your shalim, you see that if you don't harvest the etrogim off the tree, they just stay there. And next year, they're there. The same etrogim are there on the tree. They get bigger, yeah. But it's not true about apples. I feel I'm like really ahead of the game here. Like, <laughs> like I could become a farmer. So, anyway, that's what, that's what the Ramban says. The Ramban disagrees with Rashi. But halacha doesn't make any difference. I mean, you're not allowed to eat it. You're not to eat it because the word orlav implies you stay away from it, right? It's like a way of saying asur. Or is it because it describes the unedible fruit? That's what the Ramban says. And talk about the fruit. But now the Ramban says something very interesting. The Ramban says, 
וטעם המצווה הזאת, המצווה הזאת is line 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, it's on the 9th line in the Rambat. טעם המצווה הזאת, now you know that, that the Rishonim, the Rishonim had this thing about טעמי המצוות. They had another thing about the טעמי המצוות, they wanted to, either for educational reasons or for other kinds, or other reasons, wanted people to understand that mitzvot on some level made sense. That there was a reasonable to it. A reasonableness to it. In fact, the Rambam spends about half of the Moran Nebuchim, the guide to the perplex, explaining the rationale to mitzvot. Why mitzvot are good. Or what good is done to us from mitzvot. This, uh, uh, this enterprise, I think, fell out of favor to a certain extent because um, it was hard to keep up with the changing scientific times. So if at one time uh, you could say happily that uh, pigs, pig meat is the source of, uh, of sickness, uh, there came a point where it was just not so easy to say that anymore. I mean, you could say it, but you couldn't be too convincing. So ta'ameha mitzvot are less clear today than they were at the time of the Rishonim. But the Rishonim were very concerned about this, about this problem, and they wrote about it extensively. So the Ramban says, ta'ameha so why do we have this mitzvah of Allah? לכבד את השם מראשית כל תבואתנו מפרי העץ ותבואת הכרם ולא נאכל בהם עד שנביא כל פרי שנה אחת הילולים להשם. So he says, the way we live is before we gobble it down, we take it uh, uh, to a place where we can express our thanksgiving to our Kodesh So we have fruit, we go to Yerushalayim. Okay, we're not going to go to Yerushalayim on year one, right? Because the Hinei Ein HaPri B'Tol Shalosh Anim Ra'ula Krivol Lifnei Hashem HaNechbat. So the truth is, we could eat the fruit of the first three years. I mean, it might not be good, you might not like it, but you could eat it. But what can't you do with the fruit of the first three years? You can't bring it to HaKadosh Bochum. You can't bring it to Yerushalayim. You can't, uh, you can't make it into Kodesh Yilulim Lashem because everybody understands that the stuff is awful. So he says, the fishu mu'at ve'in ha'ilan notein bifir yotam o'reach tobetol shalom shadim. So he's telling us, um, I don't know what this is called, you know, this study, agronomy of some kind. He's telling us that the first three years are bad years for the fruit. And therefore, we can't fulfill our obligation to bring the fruit to our Kodesh Bochu, Kodesh Hilulim Lashem. Ve'ena ilan notein bepiriyot ha'morech to betol shalashadiv, ruban lo yotzi u'peirot klau ad ha'shanaravit. Okay? I mean, that's, that's trees. That's how it is. Ve'lakach damtin lekulad velonit om behem ad shenavi min haneta shenatanu Except that Bikurim is an ongoing mitzvah. Right? How does it go? We have a tree, Nebuch, 
The first three years it's Orla. The fourth year it's Netherabai, you have to bring it to Shalayim and eat it. The fifth year, all you have is Bikurim. Six year more Bikurim, seven year more Bikurim. But what is Bikurim? You take the first fruits that grow and you bring them to Yerushalayim thanking God for, for, for the bounty of this. So this notion, the Ramban says, that our thanksgiving to HaKadosh Baruch Hu applies to fruit in this very special way includes, includes Bikurim, which are discussed in the Torah at the end of the book of Dvarim, in the parasha of Kitavu. That's what, that's what he says. Okay? The emeta davar od, he says, furthermore, I want to say this further truth. Ki apri betchilat netiat ha'ilanot rav halachut davik ma'od mazik laguf v'inan utov l'ochla. He says, no one would want to eat that stuff anyway because it's sticky and gooey and uh, not uh, so attractive. The dag she'elo kaskeset, like a fish that doesn't have scales. So there's the Rambad as an afterthought said. Look, the Torah also is not just telling us to thank God, but, but it's pointing out to us that you can't eat everything all the time. Even things that you can eat, you have to be careful about eating them as well. That's what the Ramban says. Finally, the Ramban quotes, we're now five lines from the bottom, or six lines. Harav Natan He says the Rambam also dealt with this question. Like, what's the mitzvah of Allah? so that the Rambam has this theory very many many mitzvot according to the Rambam come to dissuade us from doing things that idolaters did someplace in the past. The Rambam didn't himself see most of these activities, but they were books that the Rambam uh, studied. Even though the Rambam uh, Paskins posek in Hilchot Avodah that you're not allowed to learn the books of Obdei Avodah in the Moranavuchim he says quite clearly that he learned these books very uh, intensely because he thought it was important. So, uh, so there are certain things in the world that you're not supposed to do, but if it's important, you do them. Or, you know, if it's important enough, you do them. So what did the Rambam, what did the Rambam say? 
that the Torah, the Torah wanted to uh, forge a nation that would not be susceptible to idolatrous uh, thinking about things. So the idolatrous thinking, according to the Rambam, was that if you kind of appeased the idols, then the fruit of the first three years would be improved. And you could, you could do something that would ensure that, you're, um, that you would benefit from the fruit of the first three years more than if you did nothing. And so the Torah says the first three years are hopeless. There's nothing that you could do. And having done that, having lived up to that standard, then the fourth year becomes the year of Kodesh Hilulim Lashem, which according to the Rambam, is not what the idolaters wanted. They didn't want to thank God on the fourth year. They wanted to thank God on the fourth, first year, and the second year, and the third year. And since they, uh, and so the Torah didn't want them, didn't want them to do that. I mean, of course, you know, there's this question according to the Rambam, what, what about all these mitzvot that are anti-idolatrous? How do we relate to them in, in our time? when it doesn't seem to be too much idolatry around. I mean, it's true you could call watching television or internet idolatry. I mean, you could do that. But most people don't really think that that's idolatry. But uh, so idolatry, it doesn't exist. So we don't have to fight idolatry today. So what would the Rambam say? I guess the Rambam Rambam, uh, uh, thought, I mean, perhaps... I don't know if that the Rambam ever said it, that the mitzvot can be understood in every generation. That every generation, the language that you use in any generation is appropriate to understanding what the mitzvot are about. But when the Rambam wrote his book, this idea that, the, that idolatry still had some kind of uh, hold on people, that people were uh, willing to, uh, to approach, uh, the, you know, others who knew about idolatrous worship. I mean, this all made sense. All made sense to the Ramban. So here we have it. The Ramban says two things. The Ramban says, on the one hand, the fruit is no good. And that's what Ola means. It's covered up. It's not, you can't get at it. You can't eat it. And the second thing that the, that the Ramban says, the second thing that the Ramban says, well, he quotes the Ramban, and the Ramban says, that this is something that has to deal with, with which we deal with idolatry. Now if you look at the second page, look at the second page at the bottom, Hamek Davar, is the Nitziv, I hope you remember, the Nitziv is the last Rosh Yeshiva Volozhin, right, and uh, it's buried in Warsaw, right, if you go to one of those trips, if you go to Warsaw, you'll go to the cemetery, and there's an Ohel. An Ohel means a building over graves. And the two people who are buried in that Ohel are the Nitziv and Rav Chaim Brisker. They were also relatives. They were related. Even though they got along a lot better, apparently, after they died <laughs> than while they were alive. But uh, then they were related, so it's okay you know, not to get along. That's why you have relatives, right? <laughs> so you have, you like, know who you shouldn't get along with. Otherwise, it's too hard to pick, you know, who you should. Uh, so, uh, 
So I make the I make the I wrote a parish on the Torah. Wrote a writing parish on the Torah, which today is is pretty popular. I mean, more you know, more than when I was in yeshiva. When I was in yeshiva, no one no one mentioned the Hamikdava, but now I think it's uh, become for whatever reason, it's become uh, popular. So he says this. Now, this idea of Orla is a new topic. It's not the same as the topic above, which was Shatnez and Kilayim. The Torah starts explaining to us how to ensure that in Eretz Yisrael we will be able to be successful. And it looks like the Torah is giving advice, but of course that advice turns into halacha, and halacha means it's that this is the way to do it, don't do it any other way. The Ramban has already pointed out that Orla is like Bikurim. Uh, that's he summarizes the Ramban. The Ramban says, you want to know about Orla? Learn the Ramban. You don't want to learn the Ramban? I'll summarize it for you. So instead of learning ten lines in the Ramban, you can learn two lines in the in the see, Very nice. Thank you very much. <coughs> now, the second part of the pasuk, Remember, we had this problem. One, how does the word Orla fit into what we actually do? We know what we do, but we don't understand the word Orla. Two different ways. Le'egod, an eged, is a tie. Like, he, he says you could tie up the fruit. You could take these kind of shmatis, put them on the buds, tie up the bud, tie it on the, the tree, and the fruit is not going to grow. I, I don't know if this is true or not. I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, he probably, you know, asked somebody. And in those days, everybody knew more about agriculture than I did, too. So he says, means to get weak. In, in other words, we call it pruning, right? Like you, you look at a tree and you say, if I get rid of this one and that one and that one, then the other ones are going to be happier, right? That's called pruning. So, so it has the fruit. Where's the fruit? You don't want a lot of fruit. You want good fruit. So you, you see the ones that are not going to do much, you cut them off. So that, that this was a known procedure according to the, according to the Nitzv. So that's what farmers did. They, they, cut the, they, they covered up the fruit so it shouldn't uh, uh, grow and the tree would remain strong. Because it wouldn't be wasting all this energy trying to grow stuff that is not going to grow too well anyway. So I was explaining the Pasuk. What does Arauta Marlato mean according to the deceive? You cover it up. You cover it up. Not that it is covered up, 
But you look at it and you say, I'm not going to use this fruit. I don't want it to grow. Cover it up. Cover it up with something. Oh, in Gadal so that according to this, it's a, it's a chiddush. You know, it's like a novel thing, a novel idea. The words of the pasuk are, How does he explain that? It's not like one phrase. It's not like one phrase. So what the Ritzi says, no. Either you do l'aralfem arlato, which means that you have to cover up the, 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 the pods where the fruit is going to grow out of and you don't let it grow. But if there is fruit, then you stay away from it. Stay away from the, from the fruit. So this is like a combination of the position, like a combination of the position of Rashi and the Ramban. They say like, like uh, that was the, the, uh, the greatness the greatness of the uh, of the Nitzif. And he took these positions. Neither neither Rashi nor the Ramban said this. And he says it's written in the Pasuk. Like the two the two interpretations are actually written in the Pasuk. Remarkable. But he says uh Kimodistivo she so says it's not. It's almost like it's written twice. Varaldim or lato means cover it up, and varaldim imperio means don't have anything to do with the fruit, right? Umifaresha katuv al varaldim or lato sheloshinim yelechem arilim haynu atumim va'al etperio lo yochal. So they're two different things. If the the buds have not yet grown into a fruit, so cover them up and stop them. But if they have fruit, if there's fruit on the tree, then uh, 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 don't eat it. Don't have any hanoz. He quotes a medrash. Rabba is the medrash rabba. Pirish zo. The Esau, right, it was in the medrash it says, the Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu, Lamad, that's what says in the Medjur, that the word Allah, the word Allah doesn't mean what we think it means, but it means it's the place on the body where the peyrot are generated, where fruit from which fruit is generated. And he says, and he says, and Avram Avinu learned about Allah Shabbat Bogus a Perot, the Allah In other words, God said to Avram Avinu, circumcise everybody, so he had to know what to do. How did he know what to do? Well, he knew the Torah. But the Torah doesn't say what Milah is. The Torah says, Beyond Shemini, Yimo Bissara Allah To in a recent parasha. Right? Beyond Shemini, Yimo Bissara You have to know what it is. So he says, oh, Rabbi Vida said, oh, it must be Varaltim Olato et Pirio. That's the Pasuk that teaches us, teaches Avram Avinu, what the Brit Milah, what the Brit Milah is. So the Nitziv doesn't like the Pshat in the, in the Medrash. Are you, are you with me? Right, he doesn't like it because, uh, because Orla de Ilan, 
the orla, the word orla, when it comes to the, the trees, refers to the pre itself, refers to the peyrot. The peyrot. So Abba wouldn't have said such a poor shot. You know, he would have had a better shot. We're the ones who are saying the right thing. There's a covering at Pirio. If there's a fruit, you have to get rid of the fruit. Adrasha Midrash. He says, you know, this is, he said, okay, but it's in the Medrash Rabbah, so on another occasion, I'll take the trouble to explain to you what the Medrash Rabbah means. But it doesn't mean that that's the Pshat. What's the Pshat? What I said. That's what the, that's what the Nitzim, as we said, so, so you see that it took another thousand years, it took another thousand years to come up with a good Pshat in the Pasuk. A good shot the puzzle. To finish, I want to tell you what is uh, in the Tzorah Hamar. You know the Tzorah Hamar? The Tzorah Hamar, a very interesting commentary, written by somebody whose name was Saba. I don't know how to pronounce it. Samach Bet Ay. Samach Bet Ay. He was kicked out of Spain when the good people were kicked out of Spain in 1492. And then he went to live in Portugal. You know, many of the people who were kicked out of Spain mistakenly went to live in Portugal. And they were kicked out of, subsequently kicked out of Portugal in 1491? Nine? 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 Nine. What? 95? Fourteen. I, I mean, your memory is better than mine, but I would say it was 1497. Well, I think it was 1497, but you can look it up. When I say that they made a mistake, what I meant was that in Portugal, they treated the Jews much worse as a community than they treated them in Spain. It's true that in Spain they exiled them, but their life was, uh, was not as bad for the Jewish people before the exile as it was in Portugal. And so then he was exiled from Portugal. And the interesting about this book is that uh, he, he wrote he wrote the many books. And he wrote this book called Tzor Amor, which is a commentary on the, on the Torah. And the book was lost at sea when he was escaping. And then he just rewrote it you know, from memory. So that was handy. You know, it was handy that he remembered his book, Baal Peh. And this book, this book has not quite been discovered yet, because to the best of my knowledge, you can get it, you can buy the book, but it has not been reproduced in a fancy, glossy edition with footnotes and references and blue paper and green paper. You, you still have to buy it. To buy it, you have to buy the, like, the old style. It's an old style book. So you might have to go to an old style bookstore to buy it, because uh, the touristy kind of bookstores would never sell a book like this. But it's a very interesting, he wrote a very interesting commentary. Now look at what he says. He says, this is like, you know, remember he's leaving, he's leaving Portugal, he left Spain, he had a difficult life. His children were sick. I mean, there are all sorts of stories. Okay, we'll start from our Raltim, our third period. The first part is also interesting, but we haven't got enough time. The fish aloyomara down the malatsi valley ala kilayim. 
a person should not say that the Torah is interested in, is, uh, prohibits kilayim. A person should not think that even though he doesn't have kelayim, he can just eat whatever he wants. Uh, <coughs> it is and I can the things that are planted, I can eat whatever I want. It says, even though, even though it's not kalayim, you still can't eat whatever you want, whenever you want. The fisha or Allah, who can kalayim. He says, that's why the, Pasuk, the Torah puts them together, according to the Shor Hamor. That Allah is like kalayim. Just like you can't eat kalayim, you can't eat the Allah. Now let's say, just to understand what he's talking about, let's forget about the word Tum'ah. Tum'ah means unacceptable. Unacceptable in the eyes of heaven. Right? There are things that you could do, but they're unacceptable in the eyes of heaven, right? Like sometimes, sometimes nature tells you that they're unacceptable. Like, like if, you, uh, if you cross a, a horse and a donkey, you get a mule, is that right? right? But a mule can't reproduce itself. Is that also right? So, uh, so what is that? So what is that? So it's like, it's like nature, God, telling you that you didn't do the right thing because you created an anomaly, a living thing that cannot reproduce itself. And that should not be done. Right? You shouldn't do that. So that this idea, this idea is what, uh, uh, what uh, the Torah law calls Tum'ah. Tum'ah means that you're staying away from Kedushah. It's not something that's visceral. It's not something that you have to eat. Right? That's not what Tumah is. Tumah is the name of where you should not go. Just as Kedushah is the name of where you should go. So Kedushah is about distinctions that the Torah wants you to make. Right? The Torah is always saying that there's a difference between the Kodesh Kodashim and the Azarah, there's Ratnashim, and Harabayit. But there's a difference in all those things. That's called Kedushah. That's called Kedushah. If you live up to the rules, you're in the world of Kedushah. If you deny the rules, you're in the world of Tum'ah. Now the word Tum'ah is used in different ways. You know that the, the Torah says, the Torah says, you eat these animals, that's Tum'ah. You can't eat a camel, you can't eat a pig, you can't eat, it's Tameh. What do you mean it's Tameh? It means it's the place into which you should not go. It's a place in which you would not enter. So that once the Torah has given us to understand that some things are good for us, that some things are bad for us, the Torah doesn't always give us the wherewithal to understand those distinctions. But we know that they exist. We know the Torah says they exist. There are, there are things that are good for us and there are things that are bad for us. So what if we can't see why that good is good? Like the Rambam wanted to show us with idolatry. He said, it's good because it keeps us away from idolatry. So now, what if I don't eat oil up and I don't see why it's good? 
So good. So we understand that. that that was the educational motive in the Torah. The educational motive in the Torah is that we should get to the point where we could trust the Torah. The Torah said, eat this and don't eat that, but didn't tell us why, and does not give us any hint as to what difference it makes if we do eat it or if we don't eat it. And we all know that, you know, very important people in Israel, very important people in Israel and the government, you know, go to Chutzwaret, and they can't wait to eat things that they can't eat in Israel. You know, it's like, it's like uh, uh, the provinciality of, the, of these people defies, defies belief. You know, somebody, somebody is going to become the Prime Minister of the State of Israel just so he could eat crabs. I mean, <laughs> I mean one would think that that would be a better reason you know, to put in all that effort. But that's, that is the fact. So that's what Tane means. Tanei does not mean anything mystical. It's mystical in the sense that we don't understand it. I mean, so we don't understand. But that's what the Torah says. The Torah says, listen, there are distinctions that you can make. You men slash women, like all sciences, I think I pointed out, is based on first being able to make distinctions and then trying to understand something about those distinctions that you have made. And... Uh, and, uh, but there's a limit. You can't understand everything. I mean, everybody, every scientist knows that they don't understand everything. So we also don't understand everything. But we imagine, we think, we believe that when the Torah says this is Tameh and this is Tahor, there's a distinction. We don't know what the distinction is. But so what? So what? So if a physicist tells me that, you know what I'm saying, that... Uh, if a physicist tells me that there's a particle in the atom, you know atom? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the atom, there's like little particles running around. So you say that there's a particle in there that has no mass, and has no charge, and there's no way you could ever find it, but it's there. So if, if a famous physicist said that to me, I said, okay. I mean, if the guy selling tomatoes in Machani Yehuda said it to me, <laughs> I'd say, it can't be such a thing. It can't be. But if, uh, if like, the Goro Hadar in physics says to me, you know, there's a neutrino. You know, like, like, what's a neutrino? Well, it's nothing. But it's definitely there. You know, I say, oh, fine. That's just fine. You know, like, like I'll tell that all my friends when I, when I see them. You know, so if the Torah says, this is Tabay and this is Tahor, so I say, okay. I mean, that's what I should say. I should say that other Adarabha, that, that, that uh, humility comes in all kinds of directions, right? One way, one kind of humility is that I don't always know. Right? I know that I don't always know. So the Torah says, the Torah says, some things are not good for you. And other things, just stay away from them. And I trust the Torah. I trust the Torah that, that these distinctions, that these distinctions exist. However, you know that the Kabbalists had trouble with this. I'm not now talking about Kabbalah. I'm talking about Kabbalists. And the trouble that the Kabbalists had was very, was very simple and reasonable. Very reasonable. That if everything comes from God, and if God is, let's say, could be described by words like Kedusha and Tahara, right? You know, whatever good words we have, we're going to use them to describe God. So where did the other stuff come from? 
They didn't like that. They, they, they didn't, you know, it bothered them. It bothered them. It would never bother a Litvak. You know, I said, oh, okay. It's their good ones or their bad ones. You know, like as long as he got it from a good source, uh, it would not bother a, a Litvak. But the Kabbalists, the Kabbalists were bothered by this. And, and they, they want to know what they should do about it. You know, like, if there are good things in the world that you should connect to, and there are bad things in the world that you should stay away from. Well, what do we do about that? I mean, it's, it's not just a Boy Scout manual that, you know, do these five knots and take the old lady across the street to the green light and you get a, uh, you get a badge. It's not like that. It, it's supposed to mean something. Like staying away from Tuma also creates recognition of it. Once you've recognized it, so what are you supposed to do? I mean, you know, you can't just let it walk around and be there. So you see, um, uh, here I'm looking, online, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, um, in that second section, he says, the Chachamim taught us in the Kabbalah. Kabbalah means received tradition. It doesn't mean Kabbalah. It's Kabbalah. Kabbalah is what we all have. right? Everybody receives a tradition. Lezayen otiyot shatnes gets biziyunin we know, uh, some of you may know, and others you should know, that when you write, when you write Hebrew in a Sefer Torah, there are certain letters, those letters are Shat, Nez, Getz, Shin, Ayin, etc. Gimel, Tzadi, right? That's why it's written that way. Those letters have Kitarim. Kitarim are three little lines coming out of the letter someplace or other. And the Gemara asks, you know, that uh, when you write a get, you're supposed to write a get like you write with the letters they usually write a Sefer Torah. You have to write these, uh, you have to put these Kitarim on the, on the letters. Now these Kitarim are also called Zayin. A Zayin is, is a, uh, a weapon. A weapon. He says, imagine that. Imagine that the, 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 the Torah is written down. Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the Torah and he gave it to B'nai Yisrael. And at some later date, the, the Chachamim decided that the Torah had to be protected. That the writing in the Torah had to be protected. And they said that these letters, Shad Nekez, Shad Nezgetz, had to have Kitarim, Shehem Keter HaTorah Uklizayim. That they're going to protect the Torah. What are they going to protect the Torah from? What would mean? What means the Torah? The HaKadosh will give the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu. Latsi lo mikaf mei avel vechometz. The Apostle Kitarim. That, that, that they shouldn't, it shouldn't rot, that something bad shouldn't happen to them. Who Esav, who Adam, there, say, ah, just like Esav is there to mess us up, 
ולכן צוותת הרבה, הרלתם עורלתו. והרלתם עורלתו, את הסימבוליק אקט, to fix things, לפי שהם נקראים ערלות פלישתים, לא ערלות פלישתים, פלישתים, ערלות שאול המלך, you remember that story? yesterday, when was the יום העצמאות? Monday? I mean Tuesday. Where was the Chidon HaTanach? So who's our Elot Plishtim? I would ask Netanyahu Sadi, he would tell me right away. Shaul HaMelech said to David that he wanted him to bring a Mohar for marrying his daughter. Mohar is, uh, in English, it's usually translated like a, a bride price. You know, the Chatan would pay to marry the girl. Uh, pay the father, by the way, not the girl. So, uh, so he wanted to bring a hundred Philistine scalps, which, depending on how you look at it, might have meant, you're not going to marry my daughter. But I, you know, I'll give you this challenge instead. So that's Arilot Plishtim. לכן צוותת עולתו לפי שהם נקראים ערלות פלישתים, כמו שאמרנו שביציאת מצרים. I have to skip, I have to skip two more lines. לפי שכבר יצא כוח אטומה מהאילן וראוי בשרות בו קדושה. וזהו קודש אילובים להשם. So this idea, this idea that wherever you look, wherever you go, you can find something to fix. You can find something that is not uh, disposed in a proper way. is reflected in the words of the Tzor Hamor. What the Tzor Hamor said was, look, this is real. This is like a confrontation. The Torah said to us, you, have, you could have a confrontation with Tum'ah and you could produce Kedusha. How do, you do, how do you do that? You stay away from the tuma. It doesn't matter if the fruit is good or it's not good or it's delicious or it's less delicious. You stay away. And then on the fourth year, you bring the fruit to Yerushalayim, Kodesh Hilulim, Kodesh Hilulim Hashem. So that the Tzroch HaMor represents a world view about mitzvot. A world view about mitzvot that opposed to the Ramna. who said that mitzvot are for us, they're for our good. You need a community. You need uh, a way of organizing yourself. You need a beta knesset. This is all in the Rambam. The Rambam says, the Rambam says that all of the mitzvot, or many of the mitzvot, come to organize life for us, to tell us where we should put in our effort and energy, that it's very important to go from time to time to Yerushalayim, to be in the Beit HaMikdash, to, set, to get that extra kind of uh, davening that you get in Yerushalayim and the Beit HaMikdash. And everybody, everybody should do that. The Tzorah HaMor, the Tzorah HaMor says, yes, the Mitzvot are for our good. They are for our good and they will produce good things in us. But what is it that, what is it we're doing when we do the Mitzvot? Well, We, we are approaching an issue in creation of Tum'ah. 
Tuma meaning it's not exactly what God wanted. It's not the way it should be. And so when you see something that is not the way it should be, you should stay away from it. And you should take it again when it becomes as God wants it to be. And those things are the things that are in the Torah. There's no other way that we have of knowing that. So the Torah says, HaKadosh Baruch says to us, the first three years, stay away. Araltem olatoet piryo. We saw Rashi, we saw the Ramban, and we saw how the, the, the Nitziv combines them, puts them, puts them together. As far as Tam may have mitzvot are concerned, we saw the position of the Ramban, that the food is no good. We saw the position of the Rambam, that there's an educational issue here about keeping away from idolatry. And then we saw that the Shor changes the language. It's not idolatry that we're worried about, but we're worried about messing up the world that God made. And that we have to do our part in fixing things, right? That's what people today like to call tikkun olam. But tikkun olam doesn't mean, I mean for, the, for, for people who learn Torah, tikkun olam doesn't mean save the whales. Tikkun olam means don't eat orla. That's what it means. Now, if you get that through your head, you know, if people can like, sort of connect up to that, that's uh, like an essential divider amongst Jews around, around the world. And that divider is, does the Torah want me to fix what I understand has to be fixed? Of course the Torah wants to be saved, the whales cheat on. You say the whales, because, because a 10-year-old girl at a reform shul in, 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 in America knows that you should save the whales. So, of course, go save the whales. But the Torah doesn't have to tell you that. The Torah has to tell you not to eat Orla. Because the Torah didn't tell you not to eat Orla, you wouldn't know that you shouldn't eat Orla. Have a good show. Amarif, what's up, Amarif?